Well, good morning, Peace Church. My name is Travis, uh, one of the pastors here, and I have the great privilege and joy to teach the Word of God this morning and can continue a series that we're in in Jonah chapter 3. If you're joining us for the first time uh, this morning, I want to encourage you to to go back. Some great messages from Pastor John and Pastor Nate. And so here we're going to be looking at at Jonah chapter 3 this morning, and God's Word is so good. I'm excited to dig in and to see uh, this story. It's a remarkable story. It's an amazing story that, that, that testifies to God's extravagant mercy for, for sinners. So it's going to be great to look at, you, look at it with you this morning. So two weeks ago, I um, set out to go teach and be a camp speaker at Cran Hill a couple weeks ago. And uh, one of my passions is speaking and teaching to, to kids and students. Um, it's one of my joys. And so it was an incredible week. My daughter and my two sons were a part of the camp. And, and uh, so I'm teaching throughout the week and just feeling great, just passion to do that and to, to proclaim the word of God. And at the end of the week, my daughter comes up to me and she says, Dad, you're doing a really great job. You, you need to teach like this at Peace Church. And I'm like, yeah, I know. I feel a lot more comfortable in front of students. She's like, well, just pretend that that the people that you're speaking just to a bunch of students and kids. And I said, okay, I'll try that. So this morning I'm looking out at you and I'm just picturing that you guys are a bunch of third and fourth graders, okay? (laughs) And so you can just screw around and all that. That's where I feel most comfortable in is is teaching to students and kids. And so, um, but uh, I shared that story to share a different part of the story is that at the end of the week on Friday, I was giving my last message, and I spent the week, of course, just talking about Jesus, talking about his love for, for the campers and what he had done on the cross for them. And so at the end of the week, uh, there was this camper, this boy, that, that had his hand up for like the, the last of my talks, almost the whole time. And so I'm looking over, and I'm like, okay, I think I just got to ask this, this young boy. He's been persevering, holding his hand up for like 10 minutes. Like, what do you want to ask? And so I, I, I called on him at the very end. I said, so what, what do you have? What do you, want to, what do you want to say? And he says this. He says, does God, does God love everybody? Does God love even those who reject him? And I was just blown away. I'm just like, and then my mind's kind of racing. Like, how do I answer that question? I'm thinking about form theology and the lect and the unlect and all this stuff. And then it just dawned on me. Here's this boy that, that knew that I was telling him that God came for him, but he was wondering about maybe people in his life or other people that, what happens if you reject God? If you don't walk with him, if you're living in rebellion to him. And so I told him that, of course, God loves everybody. God loves everybody. He made all people in his image, and, but he has a special love for his people. And so, but as I was studying uh, and preparing for this week, I came to see that this book of Jonah really answers that question a lot better. What we're going to see in Jonah chapter 3 is that, that God does love everybody, and he pursues everybody in his mercy. And so we're going to see uh, in this book that even those that reject him, and we're going to see diff- two different types of people that reject God in the book of Jonah. We're going to see, see uh, these two types of people, I'm going to categorize as this. We see the self-righteous. And Jonah represents that type of rebellion to God. The person that comes to God, as we saw in chapter 1, God had a mission for him to go and preach to Nineveh. And he says, I'm out. Uh, They're not good enough for me. I'm better than them. I'm going to run the other way. And so Jonah needed to be saved. He was living in rebellion to God. So uh, the self-righteous people, these are people that, that think they have it all together. These are people that on some level believe that their good deeds somehow are going to earn them favor with God. 
The reality is that these are probably like most of us, that we struggle with that self-righteousness in our life as church people. We, we come to church every week. We, we do all the right things. We keep ourselves from these outright sins. But the reality is, is, is we need to be saved as well from our self-righteousness, our pride, our religion. And so also in the book of Jonah, we see a second type of person, the unrighteous. And this morning, we're going to see them prominent, and that's the people of Nineveh. These are people that are living in, in complete repent, uh, rebellion to God. They're living as if God doesn't exist. They're living in incredible evil. They're, they're uh, just, just doing whatever pleases them. And there's that type of people as well. And maybe there's some, some of you that, that maybe feel you relate more than that, to that type. But more than likely, it's people outside of maybe church buildings that what we're going to see is that God loves them too. And he's going to come after these people of Nineveh with his grace and his love um, as well. And so um, one of the main ideas that we're going to see this morning is this, is that God extends his extravagant mercy to all people that they might repent and turn to Jesus. We're going to see this throughout this third chapter and throughout the book of Jonah. And so I'm excited to get in this book together. Uh, If you haven't turned yet, if you could turn to Jonah chapter 3, and we're just going to walk through uh, this chapter verse by verse and see God's extravagant love for all people, for all types of people that are living in rebellion to him, to the self-righteous and to the unrighteous. God loves them, and he pursues them by his grace and his mercy. So let me pray and just invite God to, um, to work in our lives and hearts. He has to do that. And so you, you bow your heads and pray with me. Lord, we come, and we, um, I come as your humble servant, Lord. And I just ask that you would fill me with your spirit to be able to preach and tr- teach your word and your truth of power and conviction. I pray in, in the hearts and lives of your people here that you'd open up our ears and our hearts, that your spirit might bring that truth into their lives, into our lives, and bring change and transform- transformation, Lord. So, Lord, we, we come to you this morning, and we pray that we would be changed and walk out here differently as we hear of your love and your mercy towards us in your Son, Jesus Christ, and all God's people said, Amen. So let's begin by looking at verses 1 to 2. And so we're going to look at Jonah 1 to 2. And these opening verses are like, are like a second take in a movie director's clapperboard. They're like, all right, take two. Because these opening verses nearly reflect exactly what God says in, in chapter 1. And so the word of the Lord comes to Jonah and he says, go to Nineveh to rise. But there's a difference in this take two here in chapter 3 because there's this added phrase that's a remarkable phrase this morning. So look with me at verses 1 and 2. It says, the word, Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, and saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. So let me ask this question. How many of us, and I hope all of us, are, are just thankful for the patience and mercy of God? How many, many of us are just grateful that God comes to us? A second time, and a third time, and a fourth time. God's mercy is for us, and that's what we see here. Here in this verse, we see God's mercy on display. Jonah is running from God. Jonah says, you know what? See you later, God. I'm, I'm, in my self-righteousness, I don't want to do what you want for my life. But God, in his mercy, he's going to pursue Jonah. And as we saw in the story, God commands this storm to to get him overboard on on the boat. God then sends a whale. And in that belly of that whale that we saw last week, Jonah is humbled. And he comes to repentance. He comes to see that his self-righteousness was leading to a, a life of destruction in his life. That he wasn't living according to the word of the Lord. 
So God's mercy is seen here as that God comes to Jonah a second time. So God could, should have, and, and God is holy and just, right? In his holiness, God should have, and we deserve um, a death for our sin, right? We, Jonah didn't deserve a second chance. And the thing is, God doesn't owe us a second chance. When we reject God, the punishment of our sin is death. But what we see is that God comes to us, and he comes to us in his son, as we know, and his character is on display, that God's extravagant mercy and his lavish grace. grace. And so, I don't know about you, but every day I stand in need of that grace. When I look at my life and I look at at the things that I do in my life every day, you know, and I wake up, I, I screw up in, in all areas of my life, whether it be losing my temper with my kids or, or being snapping at my wife or being critical and judgmental of a coworker or, or just living for my own self, living for my own interests. These are the things that I often do just before 9 a.m. I mean, I could go on and on, right? And, and that's the truth of our lives. But God in his kindness, he, he reaches down like he did to Jonah and he convicts us and he comes to us a second time and a third time and he leads us to repent with him, with our, with our family, with whoever we had sinned against and that's God's grace. And so here in verse one, we see God's mercy on display. God comes to Jonah a second time. Isn't that good news? And I, I imagine though, there's some people here today that think, you know what? I don't deserve that. I if you only knew what I've done, God's mercy isn't available for me. And so if that's you, I want to encourage you because we, we have these doubts that does God really love me? Is God's mercy for me? And the Satan, the enemy comes to lie to us and to steal, kill, and destroy. But there's a verse that I think of from the book of Lamentations that I want to encourage you. If you're feeling that this morning, if you're doubting the mercy of God in your life, I want to share a verse with you that, that, that I've stored up in my heart and I love deeply because it reminds me that God's mercy for me is available every single morning. Lamentations 3 says this, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. I love this verse because this is a promise that God has that his mercies are new every morning. And so we see that here in the book of Jonah. God's mercy is available and comes to him. And God's word is available to us. And verses like this we can hold on to and use against the enemy when he comes to attack us. So let's continue on as we saw um, Jonah's the word of God comes to Jonah a second time. His mercy is, is there. And so what we're going to see now is that Jonah is transformed. He's transformed and he's ready now to obey God. First two chapters of Jonah, he had pursued him in his mercy. He had humbled him. And now J Jonah comes to a place. He's ready to be used by God. So here in verse 3, we see this transformation. He's ready. But let me remind you, previously in Jonah, right, he, he ran from God because he was self-righteous. He hated the people of Nineveh, right? He didn't want to preach to them Jonah and his self-righteousness. He didn't want Nineveh to be saved. And so he ran the other way. But as we saw, though, God in his mercy, he pursued Jonah. He saved him. He, he rescued him with a whale. And he cried out. And so now Jonah is here, now transformed, ready to obey God. And so my question for us is this morning is, is how can Jonah do this? How can Jonah feel this way? How is he ready to obey God? What's changed in his life? And so I think the change is really happens at the second half of the, this verse. Listen to this. It said, Jonah arose 
and went to Nineveh differently before he ran. But how does he do that? He does it because he was living according to the word of the Lord. So what's changed in Jonah's life that we see here in the text is that Jonah now is surrendered to the authority of God. You see, in his life and for the life of Christians, obedience is not about, do, is not about doing what you feel like doing. I'm sure Jonah had the same feelings as he had before. But now, instead of living according to himself, he's living according to God's word. Here's the truth. The great idol in our culture today is our feelings. The great message in our culture today is this. Do what feels good to you. For the followers of Jesus, though, there's a problem with living according this way. The problem is what the word of God says does not line up with what I feel like doing most of the time. And obedience to God is, is not about what we feel like doing, but what the Word of God teaches us and commands us to do. So here's the thing. Every person here, myself included, every person here is walking in one of two ways. We're either walking according to the Word of the Lord, or we're walking according to the will of me. So let's remember, though, Jonah has legit reasons. He, he has legit reasons for not wanting to go to Nineveh. He's concerned for his life. There's a good chance that as he rolls into Nineveh and gives this message that he could be killed. Yet despite this, Jonah is ready to obey God because the word of the Lord had become the authority in his life. And this is huge. This is huge for us. This is the difference. Jonah now is submitting to God's word and he's willing to do and go wherever God tells him to go. He's living according to the word of the Lord. So let me ask you this morning. Are you living your life according to the word of the Lord? Or are you living your life according to the will of you? And as I'm sure we all know, we all do that from time to time. But the good news of the gospel is that the best life and the best way to live is according to God's word. And so we're living in a world today, though, that tells us that the right way to live, that the only way to live is according to how we feel and what makes us feel best. That, that the right way to live is according to our own feelings. That if, And there's no right or wrong. Do whatever you want to do. There's no ultimate authority about how you need to live. Do what feels good to you. That's the view of our culture today. And any and all dissenters who believe dif differently should be canceled. But for us as Christians, living according to our feelings is often in, in, in direct contrast to the God's word. And so for the Christian, God demands that we live according to the word of the Lord. There's no other way to live. God's word is truth. God's word is life. God's word brings freedom. And for us as Christians, we believe that living according to God's word is what is best for us. And so make no mistake, though. God's mission and God's word sometimes teaches us and calls us to radical things. But the ability for Jonah to obey and go to Nineveh and trust God completely was because the word of God had become and taken root in Jonah's life. And he says, this is what I'm going to stand and live according to for the rest of my life. And so Jonah wanted to live according to God's will more than he wanted to live according to his own. And so as we learned, uh, Jonah already was living according to the will himself. When he did that, it left him in ruin. It left him in a storm. It left him in the belly of a whale. But now he's ready to follow God. So what about you today? Are you living your life according to the word of the Lord? Or are you living and marching your life according to the will of yourself? The reality is there's only one of two ways to live. In accordance to what God has called us to do, which is going to bring light and life, or in accordance to how we feel, which, you know, for a season, it might ultimately be fun and, and work, but in the end, it's going to bring pain and destruction 
in bondage and pain. And so let's see um, how Jonah continues and how he teaches the, the people of Nineveh to live according to God's word. So we're going to continue on in the next verses here. And we read this. It says, Now Nineveh was an exceeding great city, three days' journey in breadth. Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey, and he called out, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. This is crazy what happens here. Here we have Jonah's sermon, which in Hebrew is really only five words. And so Jonah walks in and he drops five words on the people. Turn or burn, Nineveh, mic drop. And he walks away. That's all he does in the whole sermon. What happens? A revival breaks out, right? From the very greatest of these to the very least, the entire nation turns to God. Do you know how much time I could have saved this week if I could have just given a five-word sermon and have half the impact that Jonah had, or even a fraction? Now, I'm no preaching expert, but I can tell you this morning that, that this sermon is a poor sermon. There's no intro. There's no application steps. Jonah doesn't even unpack the word of God. He just comes into Nineveh and he drops a hammer. Yet 40 days from now, Nineveh, you're toast. Peace, I'm out. That's it. And the whole nation, the whole nation turns to God. This is crazy. And so here's a question. How, how could this be? How does a sermon like this change lives? How does this massive revival take place with a seemingly poor sermon, this five-word sermon? Well, here's what I believe happened and what I believe happens here and we pray for every Sunday morning. That people are changed not by eloquence of our words, but people are changed by the power of the Holy Spirit. Or put it another way, at Peace Church, we believe that God's word, powered by God's Holy Spirit, is the only thing that changes lives. Here at Peace Church or in any other church, the real preacher, the one and true preacher of God's word each week is the Holy Spirit. My words can't change anyone. I can't even convince the four other people who share my last name and live at my address to do what I want them to do. You know what I'm saying? I mean, I tell them to go some way and I feel like I'm living with a bunch of Jonas. They just go the opposite way. Nobody listens to me, not even my own household. And so what we see in this in, in Jonah is because God does the changing by his Holy Spirit. God convinces us to change for eternity by his spirit, not a pastor, not anybody else. Change in the human heart is only possible through God's word powered by the Holy Spirit. God's word, and there's Apostle Paul speaks to this and he echoes uh, this that we see here in Jonah. He says this, Apostle Paul says, my message, my preaching, we're not with wise or persuasive words, but with the demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. So make no mistake, if God brings change in our lives, or change in, in our lives at any point in our lives, that only happens because of the Holy Spirit. When God's word is proclaimed, then the Holy Spirit takes that and brings transformation in our lives. That's how people are changed into God's image. So years ago, I was uh, serving as a, year, as a youth pastor at a church in Granville. And so there's a student named Adam who came through the invitation of another friend. And so uh, think about Adam. He was built like a linebacker. No joke. He was like uh, 6'3", 220 pounds of just pure muscle. He was this really intimidating presence. And so 
instead of playing football, as you might expect, he played rugby. And he was a star rugby player for, for, for Granville, and he really liked to hit people, which made him good at rugby. And so for months, he attended youth group. So during youth group, he was, he was really engaged in two parts of the night, the food time and the games, right? So he loved both of those. And so as you can imagine, we had started to have to buy more food to, to feed him. And he loved to play the games because he would just, you know, take out everybody else. But there was a third part, important part of youth group that you know that we do every week that was my most favorite and I thought the most important part was the teaching time. But Adam was totally disengaged in that time, right? He would, he would either be screwing around in the back trying to distract another student or if, or if that didn't work, he would sit there with his, his arms crossed and he would just kind of stare ahead just being like, I can't wait for this to be over. And so that, that was Adam. But what happened on one winter night was so memorable to me because one night at the end of youth group, after most of the students had left, Adam came up to me with tears in his eyes. And I'm like, Adam, what's wrong? What, did something happen with your family? Why, what are you crying about? And, he, and I'll never forget what he said. He said, Pastor Travis, I need Jesus. I'm empty inside. I, I have everything that a student wants. I got all the friends. I got, I got success in sports. I got girls. But I'm just empty, and I just feel so lonely and broken inside. And you've been teaching about this Jesus and how he came to set me free and to, and to, to satisfy my heart, and I just need him in my life. How do, how do I get Jesus? And as you can imagine, I'm just blown away. I mean, I, I looked at Adam, and I thought, you know what? There's nothing happening, right? He just doesn't even care about what God's word is doing. But on the inside, God's word was doing something in his life. Why? Because the Holy Spirit was, was speaking to Adam. On the outside, we couldn't see it, but that's how God's spirit works. On the inside, his word, when it's proclaimed, does it work in our lives. And so that's, that to me, that was this amazing reminder that my job as a pastor and our job as a church is simply to proclaim the word of God faithfully and that the spirit of God is the one that brings the harvest. And so Jonah's five-word sermon wasn't that good. But that didn't matter. God moved mightily in Nineveh to bring about this great revival. And God moves miraculously today in the lives of people by the power of his spirit and by the power of his word to do the same. And so I'm, I don't know about you, but I'm so grateful to be at a, at a church that believes this. I'm grateful to be at a church that stakes everything that we do upon the word of God. That the growth we've seen recently, I believe, is a direct result of that. That we are a church that says, you know what, we're going to teach the word of God and we don't care what else happens. And so it's great, it's amazing to be that. And I'm excited to see how God continues to work in our midst as we can continue to faithfully teach his word. And so let's read on and we're going to see here the, um, the response as God's word goes out to the people of Nineveh. And um, we're going to continue reading and to see the response of repentance from the king and the people. And so the word reached the king of Nineveh, and he rose from his throne. He removed his robe, he covered himself with sackcloth, and he sat in ashes. And he issued a proclamation and published through Nineveh, by decree of the king and his nobles, let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth, and let them call out mightily to God. It goes on to say, let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. Here is an example of repentance before God. 
sackcloth and ashes in that cultural time and meant to serve as a symbol, an outward symbol of, of, of repentance. And so we see the response of the king here in Nineveh. He shows his people yet in, in putting on the sackcloth and sitting in these ashes that we need to turn back to God now. We need to turn back to him and cry out mightily to him that he would relent and, and, and not give us the destruction that is due us. This is what ha- is happening in the king in Nineveh. This is a, a picture of true repentance. And so I want to share, though, when you think about repentance, there's a difference, though, between repentance and what I'm going to call remorse and resolution. Let me share the difference between these two, these two. Remorse and resolution, which is so predominant in our world today, is that I'm sorry for my sin, mostly because I got caught and I got to face these consequences. So I'm sorry, and I'm going to resolve to try to do better. There's a big difference between this and repentance. Remorse and resolution, to go on and share more about what it is, it's about me. It's about a sorrowful that I got caught, and, and I'm going to try to do better. But here's the thing, and we need, we need to know, is that that's not repentance. Repentance is all about Jesus. Repentance is about what he's done. Repentance is about change. It's, it's, it's about turning to Jesus in, our, in, in sorrow for our sin and turning back to God. There's a radical difference between the two. And so let me share this. Rarely do we see repentance in our culture today. It's become pretty common, as I'm sure you've seen, that over the years we see one of these famous people, whether it be a celebrity or an athlete or Tiger Woods years ago, do something terribly wrong. And they have, they have to give this public apology because they've been caught doing some terrible thing. And so you ever, have you ever noticed that almost all these apologies are just that? They're, they're an apology. They're, you know what, I'm sorry that I got caught. I feel really bad for, for what I did wrong. And, and I'm going to commit from this day forward to really try to do better. And so it dawned on me a few years ago after hearing these type of apologies again and again and again and just feeling like they're so hollow is that the reality is that the world does not get repentance. The world does not require repentance in these people. Why? Because the world doesn't know what repentance is. You're not going to find repentance in our culture because repentance requires something that the world does not know or have. Repentance requires us to turn to something or someone that can change us. In our secular world today, there's no one to turn but yourself. Repentance is impossible to turn to someone else unless you have someone else who can change you. So that's why I say repentance is all about Jesus. Because Jesus is the only one that we can turn to who will truly change us from the inside out. Remorse and resolution... It doesn't change anyone. It's powerless. With remorse and resolution, you most likely, you're going to most likely turn back to whatever you were doing, or you'll turn to something else to fill your heart and satisfy you. Remorse and resolution doesn't change the human heart. Only Jesus can. And what Jesus requires and what God requires is that we do a complete turning and fix our eyes on him. Repentance this morning, and I want you to know, repentance that honors God is a complete turning turning from the wrong that we're doing and turning to turn our eyes and fix our eyes on Jesus and the cross. That's the only way that we can be changed, believing that Jesus died for us and believing that what he did on the cross paid for me and trusting in his righteousness. But here's the thing. This turning from sin and believing in what Jesus did for you is not a one-time thing. Something you do once and you're saved to just get some sort of fire insurance. And so my fear is that 
There's a lot of Christians that live that way. They think, you know what? I've repented years ago at a camp or, or years ago. And so I, I've repented and I've turned to God. But this is not what repentance is as we see in the scriptures. And I, I fear that that type of res- repentance is a false understanding that Repentance is really, in the scriptures, a daily thing, a daily thing that we're supposed to do as Christians. There's a guy named Martin Luther uh, who, who started the Reformation. I'm sure you know his name. And uh, he shared that the life of the Christian is, is about repentance, not just a one-time repentance, but a daily thing. And so he said this. He says, when our Lord and Master Jesus said, repent, he willed that the entire life of the of believers be one of repentance. What Martin Luther is getting at and what I'm trying to encourage us in this morning is that repentance needs to be the mark of a Christian. If we're going to grow in our faith, if we're going to grow in our, in our relationship with the Lord, our lives need to be marked continually by repenting in Christ. Not a remorse or resolution, but an acknowledgement that, that when our hearts are prone to wander, we need to, we need to turn the other way, repent, and say, God, I need you again today. I need you again the next hour when I messed up. God, I turn to Jesus. I forsake these things that keep trying to tempt me away from the goodness that I find in you. And so that's what repentance is. It's not feeling sorry, but it's turning to the one who can change us from the inside out. So let's close and and, um, look at verse 10. And we're going to see God's response to that type of repentance. We're going to see God's response to the people of Nineveh. When they turned and they cried out mightily to him, it's an amazing thing. And here's, here's what we see about the nature and character of God. Let's look at verse 10. It says, when God saw what they had did, how they returned from their evil way, that's repentance, God relented. God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do in them. He did not do it. It's incredible. So the word relent here means to be overcome with compassion, to be full of empathy, So God understood that the Ninevites were heading in a direction that would lead to destruction. But because of faith, they would change directions and they trusted in God. And and because of that, God forgave them. God granted granted them his compassion and he relented of his anger. And so like Jonah, God extended his mercy to them. And he didn't punish them as their sins deserve. So how does God do this this morning? How, how does God do this? Because we know God is holy. He can't be around sin. And so we see in the New Testament, there's a verse that really is one of my favorite verses. It's from 2 Corinthians. And the ability for God to be able to wipe away the sin, as we know, comes from Jesus. And so this verse in 2 Corinthians sums up how God has the ability to extend mercy and forgive sin. It says this in 2 Corinthians 5.21. It says, God made him, speaking of Jesus, God made Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So the ability for God to relent of the sins of the Ninevites and, and, and our sin, the ability for God to, to not pass as our sins deserve, is because he placed that punishment on his son. At the cross, God made Jesus, the one who knew no sin, to be sin for us. So the good news of the gospel is that God offers us his righteousness and he takes away our sin and he gives us the righteousness of his son. And so I want to go back to that question that that camper asked me. Does God love everybody, even those who live in rebellion to him? And so as we've seen here in the book of Jonah, that God's love and his mercy is indeed offered to all people, to the self-righteous and the religious like Jonah, and to the unrighteous and the pagan, like the people of Nineveh. 
And so we saw that both Jonah and the Ninevites received the mercy of God and they turned, they repented of their evil ways. But what about the person that rejects this mercy? What about the person that, that, that doesn't ask, that doesn't receive the mercy that God extends to them? And so there's a, I want to turn to another passage in John 3.16, the familiar passage that we know, for God so loved the world. But I want to look at also verses 17 and 18. Because I think in this text, we see what happens to those who just still do not receive this repentance in their life. John 3, 16 and 18 says this, as you know, it says, For so God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him should not perish. And that's what we see. God loved the world that he sent Jesus. He does not want people to perish but to believe in his Son. So for God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. And the good news of the gospel is whoever believes and receives this mercy in, in him is not condemned. We're not condemned this morning if we've received the, the, the grace of God. But here's, what if you reject that? And so it goes on to say in verse 18, it says, But whoever does not believe, whoever does not accept the free gift of grace and mercy offered through Jesus, stands condemned already, because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son, C.S. Lewis has this quote that says, Whatever we decide to live for here on earth, God will give us in eternity. And so when we reject God's Son, whether that be through religion, the belief that, that, that our good deeds, that our church attendance will be enough, or, or whether we reject God through uh, an outright rebellion, not living however he wants us to and doing whatever we please, the Bible is clear that, that when we live in those ways, God gives us what we desire. The Bible says they stand condemned in heaven. And so the thing for us this morning is that God offers his son to us. And we can reject that. We can turn from God and we can walk our own way and according to the will of the Lord. Every single one of us here today is walking in one or two trajectories, as I said earlier. We're either walking according to the word of the Lord or we're walking according to the will of ourselves. And so we see in the book of Jonah that God extends his mercy when we're walking according to the will of ourselves. And God comes after us. And God reaches down and he says, I love you. I want you to change your ways. I want you to turn and walk according to my word. And so repentance, as I said, is this grace-filled invitation to rethink the direction of our lives, to rethink what we're living for, to turn back and to receive the invitation of God's mercy, to receive the gift of his son, and so I have a question for all of us this morning. Is the direction that you're going in your life, is there a direction that you're going that is according to the will of you? Do you need to rethink the direction of your lives? Are you walking according to the word of the Lord? Is there a relationship in your life this morning that you're just saying, you know what, I want it my way? Is there a conflict in your life that you need to turn back to God and say, God, I need to repent. I need to confess. I need to seek forgiveness. And so... Is there a direction that you're going this morning that's not according to the word of the Lord? Here's the good news that we see in Jonah is that God offers the, the grace and the mercy of his gospel. His extravagant mercy is given freely. His mercy is new every single morning. And his mercy came to Jonah, his mercy came to the Ninevites, and his mercy comes to this day. And he, he calls us to repent, not just to have remorse and feel bad about what we're doing, but to return to the one who can change us and to change us from the inside out so that we can walk in obedience and walk according to the word of the Lord.